Okay, let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. It's only going to be two verses of Scripture. It's John 13, verses 34 and 35. And if I lose my voice halfway through, just bear with me because I have a, one of those scratchy throats that probably all of you have been dealing with. <laughs> so many people have this thing. But anyway, it's John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Lord, we do pray that these words from the lips of Jesus Christ would live in our hearts today and would grip us with the importance that they deserve, and that, Lord, you would enable us to be a congregation known by love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. We are in a series on the church. We've experienced two messages so far, and I'm just going to back up and quickly help you to see where we've come from and where we've gone. The first message was the passion of Jesus Christ for his church. And in that message, we talked about how Christ from all eternity has loved his church. Over in Ephesians 5, 25 to 32, it says that he loved the church, he gave himself for the church, he sanctifies the church, he's going to glorify the church, he nourishes the church and cherishes the church, and he has united himself forever to the church. The church is the object of Christ's love and affection and passion from all eternity. That's what he's been doing from Genesis through Revelation, is gathering a bride for himself. And so the point was that if Jesus is so passionate and so loving towards his church, that ought to be our position as well. We ought to be passionate towards his church. We ought to love the church because we're to be like Christ. And then the second message last week, we took a look at what it means to be a member of a local church. So if Christ is passionate about his church, we ought to be too. Well, how does that flesh itself out? It fleshes itself out in our lives by a commitment to a local body of believers that we love and pursue and are passionate about, that we want their best interests. We want to see them growing in Christ. And so last week I gave four reasons why someone should join a local church. Number one, to fulfill the one another commands of the New Testament. Number two, to have a specific set of leaders or shepherds that watch over their souls so that they can obey them and submit to them, Hebrews 13, 17. Number three, to restore those who fall into sin. And then number four, to follow the example of the early church. And we saw in the early church that someone was converted through repenting and believing the gospel. Then they were baptized. Then they were added to the number of the saints. And then they started to participate in the activities of that church, including the Lord's Supper. Okay. Last week was like giving you the skeleton. Today I want to put some flesh and skin on the skeleton. I want to fill it out a little bit for you. <clears throat> Last week was kind of an, an institutional look at the church. More of the form and the structure. Today I want to show you more of the organic life of the church. And so that's why we're going to look at Jesus' words here in John 13, 34, and 35. Now let's remember the context. John 13 through 17 happened the night before Jesus died. Chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 happened in an upper room 
Chapter 17 happens in a garden where Jesus is praying to his father. That's his high priestly prayer. But in chapters 13 to 16, he gives some of his most important instruction to his disciples. He knows he only has a short amount of time to live. He's going to the cross in less than 24 hours. In fact, he's going to be arrested in just a few hours. And so he spends his last remaining hours with his disciples, pouring into them, giving them extremely important instruction. And what he tells them here in John 13, 34 and 35 is that love is the greatest mark of a, of a disciple's maturity in Christ. Love is extremely important in the life of a Christian. And in another place, Jesus will say, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second's just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So love fulfills the law. All the law and the prophets hang on the command to love God and love other people. And so if you ever get confused about what the Christian life is all about and what we ought to be focusing on, just remember that little word, love. Love God, love people. So we love God by worshiping Him and by obeying Him. We love the church by sacrificially serving one another in the church. And we love the lost by bringing the gospel to them. And thus we fulfill the law. Now have you ever wondered what's, what's the priority in the church? You know, what, what should be at the top of the list when we think about the, the most important things that a church should focus on? Uh, a fellow by the name of Mark Dever has recently written a book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And it's a great book. And in that book, he talks about nine things that he thinks are absolutely essential for a healthy church. Things like expository preaching, uh, practicing church discipline, church membership, uh, biblical theology, sound doctrine, uh, a regenerate church membership, and on and on it goes. But you know, if I was writing a book, and I'm not, but if I was, and I was writing a book on the marks of a healthy church, I would put right up at the top, love amongst the brethren. I think it, it perhaps might be the most important thing that a church can do. And if you find a real deep, sacrificial love among the saints for each other, you found a solid church. Now those other things are absolutely essential that I've just mentioned, the things like theology and doctrine and membership and church practice and discipline, all that's extremely important. But love, I think I can, I can say from Scripture, love is right at the very top. And let me show you some Scriptures that, make, that convinces me of that, okay? First one is Matthew chapter 22. Let's go to Matthew 22, verse 36. Okay, a teacher, a lawyer, came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And we've already referenced that, but he says here, Loving God, that's the great and foremost of all the commandments. Loving others is the second one. So you have number one and number two. Loving God, supreme, number two is right underneath it. And the, all of the Old Testament law can be summed up and fulfilled, and it depends upon 
these two commandments to love. Okay, now let's look over at Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to read verse 14. Colossians 3.14. Paul says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So what is love? The perfect bond of unity. It's like glue. It holds the church together. Or it's like cement when you're putting bricks together. It keeps them from falling apart. So love is the perfect, and it's not just any old bond, it's the perfect bond of unity. And he starts off this verse by saying, beyond all these things, put on love. Well, beyond all what things? We'll just go back to verse 12. He tells us. In verse 12, he says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So when he says beyond all these things, he's saying beyond compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness, beyond all those other things, put on love as the highest, the epitome of the mark of Christian maturity that cements and holds the church together in unity. Put on love. So do you see how Paul distinguishes love as like the, the greatest thing that we can pursue as a church? One more. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 8. Well, I'm going to start in verse 7. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, it sounds a lot like Colossians 3, 14. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Above everything else, beyond all these things, the first and second of all the commandments of God, you see how the Bible distinguishes love as supreme in the life of the Christian, and especially in the life of the corporate church. So that's what makes me say, if I had to priority... The, the marks of a healthy church, love would be right at the top. Now, as we go through John 13, uh, 34 and 35, we're going to be asking four questions. Why are we to love? Who are we to love? How are we to love? And what will happen when we do love? And those questions will be answered for us right from these verses. So, first of all, why are we to love? Jesus says here in verse 34 of John 13, a new commandment, I give to you that you love one another. A new what? Commandment. Commandment. He didn't say a new suggestion, a new piece of advice, a new bit of counsel. The Lord of the church, the Lord of the universe, has given a commandment to the church. Now, in the Old Testament, God gave ten commandments, the big ten. Jesus comes along, and Jesus gives one. One commandment. And he calls it a new commandment. He didn't say that to any other thing he said. He only said this one time, that he was giving a new commandment. So we ought to take notice when Jesus says, I've got a new commandment for you. So this is a command. That's why we are to love one another, because Jesus Christ, the King 
of the kingdom that we are involved in, the head of his church, the king of glory, he has issued a command for all of his loyal subjects, whom we are, if we've born of his spirit. We've entered into that kingdom. And this is the rule in the kingdom of Christ. We are to love one another. Now, the same one that wrote the Gospel of John also wrote 1 John. And there's something really interesting that he pens in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. So let's notice this together. John says, This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Now, did you see something wrong grammatically with that sentence? Anybody pick up on it? This is his commandment, singular. And then he goes on to give us two commands. That you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and you love one another. Shouldn't he have said these are his commandments? Well, evidently not. The Holy Spirit inspired those words. What I believe is going on here is that in the Christian life, the irreducible minimum of a Christian life is faith and love. John joins those together and says this is his singular commandment to every Christian. If you were to say, what is our responsibility towards Jesus Christ? Faith in Christ. What's our responsibility towards one another in the church? Love one another in the church. And this is not the only place that the apostles tell us this. They tell us this many times throughout the New Testament. For example, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul there is just writing to the saints at Ephesus, and he says here, Ephesians 1.15, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Now why is Paul so thankful for these people in Ephesus that he, just, he never stops thanking God for them? Never ceases. What's the reason he's so thankful for them? Verse 15, <laughs> Because he heard something about them. He heard two things. He heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus, and he heard of their love for all the saints. Faith and love. And because he heard that they had the essential marks of true Christianity, faith and love, he's thanking God. Lord, you did it again. We've got some people that you've given life to there in Ephesus. Thank you, Lord, for saving their souls. Now, we can also see the same thing over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 3. Very, very similar. Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each of you towards one another grows ever greater. Exact same thing, except Paul's saying, we ought to keep thanking God because your faith is not stagnant and your love is not stagnant. Your, your faith is being enlarged and your love is growing and increasing. That ought to be the situation here at this church, wouldn't you say? Our faith is growing and our love is growing towards one another. So the two core marks of a true child of God is faith in Jesus Christ and love that faith demonstrating itself in love for other saints. So why are we to love? Because Jesus Christ himself has commanded that we love. And because love is an indistinguishable mark of a true Christian. Number two, who are we to love? Well, let's go back to John 13. 
A new commandment I give to you that you love who? One another. Even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Three times. <laughs> so that we would not mistake it. Jesus tells us who we are to love. One another. Now, who is Jesus talking to when he, when he gave this command? Who is present? The disciples. Minus who? Judas is gone by this time. You have the 11 true disciples. Judas was a false disciple. So the 11 true disciples, those born into this new kingdom, this new family. And so Jesus is talking to his own people. That makes this commandment different from the old one. Remember he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. One of the ways that this is a new commandment is that the people we're supposed to love are different from the old commandment. Now, in Leviticus 19.18, God had given a commandment in the Old Testament. And the commandment there was that they were to love their neighbor as themselves. Their neighbor. And there is a difference between a neighbor and a fellow Christian. Now, go back in the Old Testament and think about the Jews. If God said, love your neighbor, well... You start looking around, who lives close to me? Who, who's in my vicinity? Who do I run into? Who, who does my path cross with? That's my neighbor. Whether that person was a genuine child of God or not, he was his neighbor. In the new covenant, we are to love one another. And the one another is defined by a true disciple. So another way to say this is that saints are to love other saints. Christians are to love other Christians. Believers are to love believers. Uh, true members of the church are to love other true members of the church. That is the, the answer to the question, who are we to love? Now, you say, Brian, isn't that kind of narrow? I mean, are we, are we just supposed to go around loving other Christians? What about the rest of the world? What's our responsibility to lost people? Well, Jesus did say that we are to love our enemies, didn't he? And that we are to pray for those who mistreat us. So yes, we're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to love all men. In uh, Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, do good to all men, especially who? Those who are of the household of the faith. Yes, we love and we do good to all men, but if you have to make a choice with your time and your resources and your money to do good with, if you have to make a choice, especially do good to the household of faith. Let me show you this principle in, in a, a bunch of other passages of Scripture in the New Testament. That there is a focus upon other saints, other Christians that we are to love. Okay, so let's just run through these. And I believe Oleg's got a list of them for us, so... Here we go. Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Now when Paul wrote and said, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, who is the one and who is the other <laughs> that they were supposed to be devoted to? The believers in Rome, right? In Romans 1.7 he says, to those who are called as saints, beloved of God. So these are saints. These are true believers. Be devoted to those people in brotherly love. The love of brothers in a family. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 3.12 And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for 
one another and for all people, so we don't neglect all people, but especially for one another, just as we also do for you. And then we have Hebrews, no, 1 Thessalonians 4.9. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. This is love of the brethren. Love for one another within the church. Hebrews 13.1. Let love of the brethren continue. 1 Peter 2.17. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. And then we have 1 John 4.7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. You see, there is an emphasis in the New Testament about brotherly love. Not that we neglect others, but that we focus and direct our energies and attentions within the body of Christ to loving believers. So who are we to love? We are to love those within the church of Christ. And we can't love everybody within the universal church because we can't be in more than one place at one time. And so, primarily, we love those that God has put within our sphere, the, the church within our local body that we're a part of. And as we rub and run into other people that are outside of that, we love them too, but that we focus on those people that we have committed ourselves to. Number three, let's ask another question. How are we to love? Well, back in John 13, Jesus said, Love one another even as I have loved you. There's our answer. We are to love one another as Jesus has loved us. Now think about that old commandment, Leviticus 19, 18. Love your neighbor as you love who? Yourself. In other words, love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. Neighbor love is different from this new commandment to love. Neighbor love is a love within limits. I only love you as much as I love me. When we get to this other kind of love, we're going to see that it destroys every parameter around it. But this first kind of love is, is a neighbor love. I love those as much as I I'm, as love myself. And so if I have a plate of beans and you're going hungry, I go over to you and I give you half of my plate of food. I'm loving you as I love myself. If I've got two coats and you don't have any, I give you one of my coats. Folks, in my experience, the church has never really even measured up to this kind of love. I mean, if you look around and be honest, do we love each other like that? Do we love other people in the church as much as we love ourselves? No. <laughs> we're selfish and we're self-centered. And most of the time, we can live quite well just kind of neglecting and ignoring people with need right around us. This is, this is the bottom line kind of love, the lowest level of love that we ought to be concerned about. This is Old Testament, Old Covenant type of love. But it's not the kind of love Jesus is talking about. In fact, we ought to be offended if other people in the church only love us this much because that means they're treating me as a neighbor and not as a brother, not as a family member. Okay. Well, let's talk about the kind of love we are to experience and, and give to one another. Jesus said, love one another even as I have loved you. So if you were trying to put a one-word label on that kind of love, what would come to mind? Sacrificial. 
Sacrificial love. This is a love with no limits. The other one had limits. I love you as much as I love me. Is that how Jesus loved when he went to the cross? No. <laughs> Jesus forgot all about himself and his rights and his comfort and his conveniences and what he would have preferred. Remember, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. In his humanity, Jesus did not want to go through the horrors and the terrors of having God's wrath poured out on him at the cross. But he did it. He let self die. And he went to the cross. And it's, this is love without limits. It's a sacrificial determination to do another good. Remember, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So this is the kind of love when self is gone, self is crucified, and I'm not gauging my love by how much I love me. Self is out of the picture, and I'm just giving you myself. I'm giving you the whole plate of food, and then myself. I'm giving you all my coats. Whatever you need, it's yours, because you're my brother. You say, well, man, that's a really high level of love. I don't know if I've ever had that kind of love before. Well, this love is possible through the power of the Spirit for the church of God to experience. In fact, when we go to 1 John chapter 3, we're going to find out that John is instructing the church to love just like Jesus loved. Look at this, 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Look around at people in this room. Would you die for those people? Would you take a bullet for them? That's the kind of love we are to have for each other, willing to lay down our lives for each other. See, Christianity is not just this, this light, frivolous little thing. Christianity is intense. <laughs> the, the commands that Jesus calls his people to are intense, sobering, solemn, and yet joy-filled and life-giving. The Lord wants us to be willing to lay down our lives for each other. He wants us to step up our relationship to each other. Wouldn't you agree? We can, we can be content to kind of live our own private lives. That's not New Testament Christianity. When we kind of live our own little lives and nobody knows about us and we slip in at the end of it, you know, late, we, we go out early, nobody gets to know us, we don't disclose ourselves, people don't know our needs, we don't know their needs, and we're not actively pursuing sacrificial love on behalf of other people, that doesn't even count as New Testament Christianity. So, how are we to love? We're to love sacrificially, according to the way Jesus loved. And now for the next three, I'm going to go into various other passages of Scripture, not John 13, but three other places to show you three other ways that we are to love. Another way we are to love is fervently. 1 Peter 4.8. We've already read it, but let's do it again. So Peter says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. And then in the same letter, 1 Peter 1, verse 22, he says, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Now, do you, we understand that word fervent? To do something fervently? 
the word is used sometimes of water that you bring to a boiling pitch, this roiling boil, or of something that is hot and glowing and on fire and burning. Or sometimes it's used of an athlete who is straining every muscle and every nerve as he's racing towards the goal to win the prize. So this isn't some light little love that we can take or leave. This is something, well, you know, we talk about being on fire for God. He's talking here about being on fire for the church. Boiling in your love for the church. This is, describes a person who's thinking about members of the church and how he can show them active love, sacrificial love. So we are to love fervently. Thirdly, we are to love genuinely. In Romans 12.9, he says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Let love be without hypocrisy. So, he's saying don't fake this love. You're not to have some kind of a phony love. You're not to put on a mask and pretend to love and then take your mask off when you leave the gathering of the saints and then start backbiting and gossiping about that person that you pretended to love in their presence. He says, let it be genuine. This is to be sincere, real love that comes from the heart. And then a fourth aspect of this love, it's to be practical. Listen to how John puts this in 1 John 3, 17 and 18. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. How often or how easy it is to tell someone, I love you, brother. Have you all done that many times in your life, hundreds of times? Do we really love each other? He says, don't do it just in word or tongue. Do it in deed and truth. And the example he gives is a person who has these world's goods. In other words, he's got money, he's got possessions, but he closes up his heart, he sees his brother in need, and he doesn't do anything to help his brother. He said, that's not love. How does the love of God abide in a person like that? It doesn't. The love of God expresses itself through giving sacrificially. So this is... The kind of love we are to have for one another, sacrificial, fervent, genuine, and practical love. This is the kind of love where in Hebrews 10.24, the author says, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And then he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but drawing together all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay. He says, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. When's the last time before you came to a gathering of the church, you sat down and you just considered? That means to think about. You took five minutes to think about various people you know that you were going to see when you gathered with that church, and you spent a few minutes in prayer. Lord, how can I encourage them, that person? How can I stimulate that person to love and good deeds? I know I'm going to see them, Give me something that I can encourage them with and stimulate them with. You see, this kind of love requires that we not go on being self-absorbed, which is our natural tendency, isn't it? It's mine. I'll tell you right now, I'm a selfish person. I naturally am self-absorbed with my thoughts. God wants us to be others-absorbed. And considering how, when we gather with them, we're going to stimulate them. You know, that's why we have this share time. 
It's not just this little thing we put just for the sake of doing it. I'm wanting you to learn how to stimulate each other to love and good deeds. And so that's why we share our evangelistic experiences or a verse of scripture the Lord has taught us with that week or a testimony. That's what we're doing. We're trying to obey Hebrews 10.24. So this kind of love is going to require thought, foresight. It's going to require that we get to know people. And folks, you're not going to be able to do that by coming here on Sunday mornings and that's it. That's why churches have midweek gatherings. Usually they're smaller. Usually they're in homes. Usually they lend themselves to really getting to, you know, becoming a family. I, I praise the Lord because I see that starting to happen in our missional community on Wednesday nights. At first, we just studied the Bible. People would come, would study the Bible for an hour and a half, we'd go home. Now we're sharing prayers reports and prayer requests. We did a, already, we did an outreach together for our neighborhood. We have people talking about, you know, I've got this neighbor and we're at odds. What am I supposed to do? And we're praying for them that they will do something to demonstrate supernatural love, to show the love of Christ to that neighbor. It's starting to happen. This is the kind of thing that should be happening throughout the body of Christ. And so can I exhort you, if you're not involved in any of our gatherings midweek, I want to exhort you and challenge you to get involved. And maybe you're visiting from another church. Well, go back to your church and get involved in that church. Involvement isn't attending sporadically on Sunday morning. Involvement is being tied into that church like a family member, like a brother or a sister in a family. You're part of that group. Do you guys get what I mean? Okay. So practically, another way to show love practically is to open up your home and have people in. Hospitality. When's the last time you had someone from this church over to your home to have dinner with you? You know, folks, that ought to be happening. Not just people from church, but also people from your neighborhood that are lost. What a great way to do evangelism. Just have them over for dinner and ask them about themselves. And eventually they're going to start asking about you. And when they ask you about you, you tell them the truth. You tell them that you're a Christian and that you love Christ and he's changed your life. How simple can it be? But I'm getting off the subject. I didn't want to talk about evangelism today. Open up your home and have other brothers and sisters in. Especially if you look around this room and you say, there's a lot of people here I don't really know. Well, that's a shame. Look how many people we've got. 25, 30, 35 people in this church. We ought to know each other well. So this is a challenge again to you. Get to know each other. Commit yourself, not only on Sunday, but to a smaller group during the week. Number four. The fourth question, what's going to happen when we do love? Well, Jesus said in verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't say that they're going to know we're Christ's disciples by our Christian t-shirt or the cross we wear around, wear around our neck, right? Or the our scripture bumper sticker that we've got on the back of our car. Or the fact that we've got orthodox doctrine. Or we hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Or that we can speak in tongues. Or that we can heal people. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we try to emphasize. Jesus said, this is what I want you to focus on. Love each other. And if you really do that, the world's going to take notice. What's going on here? I've never seen this kind of love ever in my life. And if that's not happening, shame on us as a church. We need to repent. We need to repent. 
if we are not acting out this kind of love, this is a command of the head of the church. We have no right to neglect this. Do you believe that? So, all men will know you are Christ's disciples if you love other members of the church, which means that other lost people ought to be able to, to see love in action when the church gathers. So, when the church gathers here, if lost people come in, they ought to be saying, what, what's up with this? I've never seen people act like this towards each other. I mean, in my lifetime as a Christian, I've seen people give away cars to each other, refrigerators, uh, let people stay in their home for free, just take them in off and say, just stay here until you get on your feet again. I've seen them act supernaturally in love towards one another. And this ought to be the lifestyle of the church, that we, we truly care about each other. We talk a lot about how are we going to win the world to Christ, you know. How are we going to do evangelism effectively? One of the missing pieces maybe is this. Are we really loving each other? Jesus told us they're going to take notice. They're going to know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ if you have this kind of love. And if you don't, they're never going to know. I'm not saying they're going to be saved simply by watching a demonstration of love. But I am saying that can pique their interest to where they want to know more about the message you believe and give you an opportunity to share the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. Why are we to love? Because we're commanded to. Who are we to love? Other disciples. How are we to love? Sacrificially, fervently, genuinely, practically. What's going to happen when we do love? The world's going to know that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, let me ask you, are you willing to begin today to repent of a loveless attitude towards the church of Christ and give yourself sacrificially to the church in love? Now, I know we have all different backgrounds, and some people have more time than others. Some people have more money than others. I'm just saying, take what you have. What, what time do you have? What gifts do you have? What money, possessions, what talents do you have? Take whatever you've got and say, I'm going to use that to love the members of the body of Christ. Will you begin today to love one another? Now, I, I know this is going to require an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to overcome our natural selfishness and self-centeredness. It is. But are you willing to pray and say, God, give me that kind of love for other members of the body? Let me stop being so complacent and so fixated on what I want to do. And Lord, let me be fixated on your will and your kingdom and your family and your church and what you want me to do. Now, that doesn't mean that you neglect your family members, your wife and your children. Of course not. They're part of the church, right? You love them. But you don't limit your expression of love only to your family members. It goes outside of the four walls of your home. So I want to encourage you to think about, not even just think about, plan hospitality. Plan to have people over. Plan, maybe talk to your husband or your wife about this. How can we get more involved in the, the life of this local church? How can we get to really know the people that are here? 
Can we, can we become part of a missional community? Or can we, can we meet up with other brothers at another time so that we get to know the people here so we can really love them? Maybe it means spending a few minutes before you come on Sundays and thinking about these people and considering how you're going to stimulate somebody else to love and good deeds. Do you ever think about that before you come to church? Do you ever pray, God, how can, would you help me to encourage one person today? Just one? I mean, that would be better than none. Let me just do something today for the kingdom of Christ. What about calling people throughout the week? Texting them? Emailing them? Staying in touch with people? So that there is a true loving network of the body of Christ? I mean, do you agree that this would be a genuine expression of the love of Jesus Christ amongst his people in this local church? Do you agree with that? What's stopping us? Just our own sin, that's all. We have the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. Let's apply that. Let's, let's be a New Testament church. Let's apply what we see in Scripture and live it out. Amen? Is there anybody that's with me this morning? <laughs> let's do it for Christ's sake. Let's pray. Lord God, would you help us to live out our Christian lives the way you've called us to? Oh God, please overcome our resistance, our selfishness, our laziness, our self-absorption. Lord, let us live for you and for your people with all of our heart. Lord, we pray we might be sacrificial and fervent and genuine and practical in our expression of love within the body. Cause this church, Lord, to be known by the love. When people come in here and visit, may they, they sense this is a place where the people really love each other. Lord, only you can do this. We call upon your name to work in us. And to the extent that we have not done that, Lord, would you grant repentance today to this church? That we would repent and that we would change our mind and change our behavior to where we truly do love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.